Hello, and thanks for listening to the Mount Sinai Health Partners podcast. I'm Rob Fields. I'm the Senior Vice President and Chief Medical Officer for Population Health at Mount Sinai. And I'm here, with, uh, the pleasure of being here with Dr. Sonia Gidwani, uh, and who's a pediatrician here in New York City. And I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. I, it's my pleasure. Yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit about how you decided to be a pediatrician, first of all, and, and then practice in New York City. It's a, probably a tough market to uh, open a private <laughs> practice in. So um, I, I love pediatrics right from when I got into med school, purely because I think from a pediatric standpoint, uh, as much as kids can talk and tell you what's wrong with them, they're turning around time to uh, uh, going from a disease process to a non-disease process is really quick, which means that small <laughs> interventions get them better so quickly. Mm-hmm. And to see them go back to their normal healthy phase is, is an amazing feeling. Um, which I did not necessarily find in adult medicine because a lot of diseases are chronic, whereas in pediatrics, mm-hmm. it's a fast-paced uh, turnaround time. So uh, the the uh, after effect is what uh, got sure. me into pediatrics, and I, I, that's why I love it. And I've never looked back. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm a family physician, so I got to see a, a lot of kids in my practice, which I, I love too. It, it, I, I also like the, the family aspect of pedi- pediatrics. And it's not just the child, it's the parents, right? You're, I'm sure that you do a correct. lot of education, a lot of counseling, I'm sure. And uh, I have a lovely story to tell in the yeah. sense that uh, I've known this child since they were born. And about five years ago, she emails me from college and said, Dr. G, can I intern with you? I'd like to see what medicine's like. And I'm like, sure, let's do it. Uh, oh, so she awesome. spent a uh, whole summer with me, uh, interning with me. And last year she took her MCATs and is going to medical school oh, and just came so for awesome. her pre-med school yeah. physical exam to say goodbye to me. So that's it was awesome. a great feeling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you inspired that a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's no, awesome. I, you know, I'm very proud of Clara. She did a great job. But it felt really wonderful to be able to see a whole life change in front of my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. That, so. that's a, that is a really nice feeling. Yeah. Um, have you, you know, when you were leaving residency, I guess, you know, what, probably similar to me, it was maybe a little more common than for folks to go into private practice, although uh, I, even then I'm sure that the trends were changing slightly, but they certainly are now. Uh, a lot of people are deciding to become employed straight out of residency um, because of the challenges of, of opening your business. Did, did you have a clear sense that you wanted to be on your own? And how did you decide on, how did you know how to run a business? So interestingly, I actually did not go out on my own first. I did uh, join a hospital group and worked with that hospital group for about 10 years. That happened to be St. Luke's Roosevelt at that time, which is now part of Mount Sinai Partners. So I was one of the first pediatricians who started a private practice for the hospital. This is when the HMOs were coming out. And so they wanted to try an, a, a private practice model in the hospital setting and see how that would work. So that was a learning experience for me. But the good part was we were four physicians running one practice and I had protected time and my kids were younger. And I really enjoyed that protected time because I was able to raise my kids to my satisfaction. Um, however, after the first five to seven years, which is a great time to be able to be in a protected environment because you learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you develop a confidence to be able to take to, take your decisions. So I think there was a uh, there was a great piece of of learning and humbling experience of being in a in a setting where you could uh, touch base with other physicians who were working right by your uh, by your side to get a, a good sense of how you would practice your own medicine. 
And it also gave me an opportunity to understand the problems that come in when you work in a hospital setting, uh, the, the levels of barriers that come between the patient um, and the physician mm -hmm. and the accessibility to a doctor that is restricted by so many levels that they have to go through. Um, and so after uh, my kids were getting older and I felt like I had more time uh, and my part-time uh, job could have been extended to a full-time, I actually took the opportunity and said, I'm going to go out on my own and work just the evenings and see how private practice works for me. And I was in an era where technology was really taking off. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I have to give a lot of credit to my own children um, and a lot of vision on my husband's part who encouraged me to use technology to my advantage. And I think that's played a big role in my success in my uh, current so? practice. So? Um, I started with an electronic medical record, which is nowhere close, which was no, which is nowhere close to what it is today. Yeah, sure. But it was a different world. And as much as it took me longer to see and document a patient, uh, I powered through it because I started the practice from scratch and didn't have that many patients and I had the time to work with it. And I got faster and faster and I realized how efficient that was. Uh, and the staff that I would hire were also very young people who were very technology savvy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were actually able to help me with a lot of my technology. And soon, I think once you get into a situation, opportunities come your way and you can either accept them or not. And I took the opportunities in the sense the high school where my kids went to high school requested me and said, can you intern a couple children? And I said, why not? Let them come and hang out with me. It was an sure. amazing experience because these kids would come into the room, look at the templates on my on my charting and say, Dr. J, you talk about this to every patient, but it's not in your template. They oh, no, helped me awesome. build up my templates. That's awesome. That's and so I realized that I think to be able to run a practice like this, I actually needed new blood and new mind who could think outside the box and grow the practice in a different mm -hmm. uh, different form rather than what a usual practice. You hire somebody with an experience who tells you what to do, but they're not necessarily willing to change with the times. Yeah. And I was learning a lot from these young kids who would come in and do projects that I would never even have thought about right. uh, generating data out of my own practice. Yeah and about how many how long patients were waiting or how many patients who were um, at a certain weight grow curve and what was happening to those patients and they really taught me to follow these things so these small things basically added to my uh, to my practice yeah. and from then on i realized that the staff i had to hire was somebody who was technology savvy because sure. that made a huge difference sure. in what happened i mean it sounds like you almost had like many focus groups these kids come in and they were teaching you what the consumers were looking at right and absolutely that's awesome yeah absolutely and also i think because of technology the biggest problem that i identified when i worked for the hospital was patient access to the physician right you really broke those barriers because if you had email and you were willing to speak to them at any hour that was convenient you actually realized that they respected your time more than they ever did when they had no access to you mm -hmm. i remember yeah. working for the hospital and getting 2 a.m phone calls about constipation today i have patients and I, I and I don't think any other pediatrician can boast about this, 
But in a month, I don't get more than two or three 2 a.m. phone calls. So that's amazing as a pediatrician in particular. Yes, it, because patients know, right. uh, they, they respect my time. They have access to me at 24 right. hours a day with my email. I don't text because I don't think I, it's not HIPAA compliant yeah. and it's not encrypted. With email, it is encrypted. Yeah. There are people who have discovered my phone and have texted me. And I've made it very clear to them that that's really the inappropriate way of communicating with me. And they respect that. And so patients will uh, email me and I'm I'm as good as I can to be able to respond to them. And there are people who are actually amazed that I can respond as often as I do. Um, And yes, I have had people who've asked me as to how I can keep up with that turnaround time. Because to me, that's important. I think, especially in pediatrics, a lot of issues are anxiety-related. Parents are just anxious about what's going on. And as long as you can write a four-letter sentence which will reassure them, it'll calm them down. And they all prefer to rather see me than have to go to an urgent care or an ER. And if I say you need to go to the ER or urgent care, they will go. You know, They Mm -hmm. trust my judgment because they feel like which is what the motto of my practice is. We treat your kids like our kids. Yeah, you know? that's awesome. And I always give myself the mommy test. What would I do for my own child? <laughs> and I think that makes that's it totally all. That's totally great. Yeah, that's ma- that makes, I think, all the difference. Well, so it sounds like you've you've focused on access, which is amazing. And, and I, 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 I remember being in private practice and we when we first opened our practice we had, were trying to decide if we were going to hire you know a nurse line or a call center I'm like well, why were you paying them money to just to send us messages and it just adds a barrier let's just you know pass a cell phone um and so if you called we picked up it wasn't anybody else it was just us and people were shocked it's like i actually get the doctor and yes. you're right people stopped calling because they knew they could get you at any time and it's funny how you open up access and it actually reduces some of that anxiety and demand. That's right. Yeah. People um, appreciate that. And they actually don't call you at 2 a.m. If they right. if they know if your kid is having a seizure or having an asthma attack, they will go to the ER. What is yeah. it that Dr. G is going to do different? Yeah. And they'll tell me the next morning or send me an email. Yeah. They have a question at 2 a.m. They'll send the email, but they're not going to call me for it. Right. If it's not because they know that you'll respond. Absolutely. Um, I, there are a couple other things that I've heard you say today and in the past about how... Um, and you mentioned a little bit ago, you've hired staff that helped mm-hmm. you on the technology and were supportive in that way. Um, but you've also utilized your staff on a lot of the quality initiatives and other things. Can you talk a little bit about how you, how you use your staff generally besides the technology? Um, so um, I think uh, the the first thing I tell my staff when, I, when I'm hiring them is I need my patient to leave out of here with a wow experience. And so it's very important that we have to be patient-centered. That doesn't mean that we agree with everything that the patient says, but of course. Um, and I, I appreciate patients who are in, informed consumers, but to say this is how we, we function, this is how we like it, and this is how we are going to provide care, and then if it works for you, that's great. And yes, email has not worked for some of our patients because they always want to be on the phone, mm-hmm. uh, phone and not necessarily accept an email communication. And we've had situations where they've said, you know, this doesn't work for us. This is not for us. But I think uh, email has, as the way technology is moving, everybody has access to email. And so all our patients are amazed that we can respond to them on email. It does not take away from their time to stay on hold on the on the telephone. They can get effective communication and it's communication that they can track back in, in the future. 
Um, so the staff is trained to use technology to the highest level if possible. There are times that they call to speak to me while I'm seeing patients and they tell the patients that please email Dr. Gidwani, the likelihood is that you're going to get a response faster than if you ask her to call you back. Because you realize when you have to call someone back, you have to find the number. You got to make sure that you dial the right number because if it's been written wrong, you'll get the wrong. Right. And then it's very possible that you'll get the voicemail of the, the patient oh, right. and then you'll play phone tag. Play phone tag well, as if they email me, I respond to them in between patients because I have a screen open while I'm finishing up my note and I will check it and respond before I go see my next patient. I will not take the time to come back to my desk and, and make, make that phone, phone call. call. That's right. You know, and so we explain that to our patients. So my staff is constantly trying their very best level to not just use technology for their own advantage, but also for the patient's advantage. Mm -hmm. So this works from the patient-centric point of view. It also has transformed how the front end uh, works with the back end, and they learn the whole revenue cycle management because they work on technology. The data that they have to collect at the front end is automatically transferred to the back end and they can actually see the revenue cycle management because at the end of the day, the front end is the one who's looking at the data that is generated by the back end to tell the patient, this is your deductible, this is your copay, this uh -huh. is what is left from the previous. So at the check-in end, also my patient, my staff needs to learn the whole revenue cycle management because only when they realize that one error on the address of the patient or the spelling of the yeah, patient or the, the sex of the patient can change how the right. billing goes and how the revenue is generated. Yeah. So I teach everybody to do every job. That doesn't mean that they're predominantly responsible for no, that job, course, but, but they need to learn so they realize how important it is to do the accurate front end to be able to uh, sure. to do to achieve the back end and keep the job going. And I tell them that if you don't generate the revenue, we all will not survive here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So it's important. Speaking of, of revenue, because I think you know we, we've talked about in the podcast in the past how I don't think most patients realize. Uh, that obviously all of us went into medicine for, for reasons of caring for patients and wanted to do better by them. Uh, but it is also true that there's payroll and there's rent and there's, you know, it's a business in that way as well. Um, you mentioned a little bit ago that the uh, ability to, you know, we're talking about the impact of quality on your work. And one of the mm -hmm. things that you mentioned is having a change in reimbursement that it's not just about volume it's not just about widgets of care but when you perform better you see an increase in in revenue that has allowed you a little bit of freedom to not just have to churn through a bunch of patients can you talk a little bit about that change and how you feel it day to day for better or for worse either way how the change in reimbursement so just to go back historically uh, uh, when i used to work at the hospital uh, we had no clue about the billing and we had no idea what was going on. And soon I rose to becoming the chief of ambulatory care pediatrics and I sat through the billing meetings. And about the same time is when I had started the small private practice on the side. And that's when I started to realize how many errors were happening mm -hmm. in the billing aspect of it, which was accounting for how much loss in revenue that we were going through at the hospital end. So I knew that billing was very important. Like I said, if you can't generate, then you can't survive. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that was on the top of my mind right all the time. And I was a very revenue cycle management person when mm -hmm. I started my private practice. And at that time, St. Luke's Roswell did have a small, um, some sort of a group of physicians that used to get an enhanced reimbursement rate from one or two insurances, but it was a very small thing and it didn't make a huge impact on us. 
Um, and then um, uh, as I was going through private practice, I realized that there was a certain amount of volume that needed to be generated to be able to survive. And it was very important to look at the costs. And my initial cost savings were predominantly from technology. Uh, you didn't oh, have to hire as much uh, staff because technology was doing a lot of my work. I didn't have to use an answering service, right. uh, you know, things like that. Um, and then this new concept of Mount Sinai Health Partners came along. And initially it was just a group, but they promised us some enhanced reimbursement. And I thought that, you know, that's a great idea. And they did mention to us that the quality indicators would be coming. And um, initially I said, you know what, let's see how it goes. And then when the list of quality indicators came out and I looked at it and I said, you know what, we actually do most of this stuff, and if we have, if we're going to get paid for it, why not? Mm -hmm. So I looked at it and I said, um, and like I mentioned in the past, I have all these young people who work in my office, and when the first time around we had to generate this data, I actually used one of these young people to do this work for me. Yeah, it was like sure. their summer project or their right. fall project, whatever they were doing. And once we looked at it, we realized it was only taking about two hours of our time once every three months to generate this data. Um, the first time was rough in the sense you were just getting oriented to how you were doing it. And I was pretty confident that I was doing a good job with it. And I was amazed at how well we had done on those quality indicators. And then I would say in the next following six months when we saw the reimbursement rates, it was really like a gift of life that you get after you've put in some effort. And for me, it was a completely new experience. And for the people who generated the, uh, who helped me generate the data, it was like a win-win situation. It's like, oh, we generated this data, we got a reward for it. And that's when I realized that it was this was not such a bad thing. And I think the subsequent year is when all the reimbursement rates from the insurances started to pick up because of quality measures that mm -hmm. we were meeting. And uh, I also ended up being uh, on the board of managers for Mount Sinai Health Partners for a year. Right which was an amazing experience because it was quite an eye-opener for at what levels people think or how they generate all this data and at what levels things can change and also at what levels there are walls or there are um, there are barriers in which to be able to generate this data, yeah, right. which are not general, not necessarily because you don't want to do it. It's because it's so difficult to track it or it's so difficult to do it in a bigger uh, population mm -hmm. or a bigger s group of physicians mm -hmm. in a small network is very easy to do it but the moment you start to expand there are things that you cannot do so it's amazing how much thought process goes in setting up all this mm -hmm. which was an amazing experience and um, I feel blessed at this point that I, I am part of this and it has given me great reimbursement rates and I've reached a point where I feel I'm happy with what I'm getting reimbursed with why not spend that extra time with my patients now that I know what the quality indicators are, it's always in the back of our mind, not just me, my staff, they all know that when a patient walks in the door, we should check their immunization status, their quality indicators, like have they had the physical or not, uh, have they had any issues, and have we addressed them appropriately. And it takes about five, seven minutes extra between the staff and me to reassess those parameters. But you feel great that you're providing good quality care, care sure. and you no longer have to run on volume to be able to generate a, a paycheck that you would like. Right. You know, You know, I, it, it's so uh, refreshing in lots of ways <laughs> to see how you've taken a, a positive spin um, on, unfortunately, I think where a lot of physicians culturally, that's probably where we struggle the most is leading a network. And, and I speak to colleagues all over the country that lead networks like this and culturally 
um, you know, um, it's probably a minority of physicians that really, as much as they may hate the push to, you know, from volume to something else, at least they understood the volume game and they were, oh, this is more, this is an imposition, you know. Um, do you have any uh, advice maybe for me, for me <laughs> uh, or uh, even for other physicians in the network that haven't looked at this challenge? And I mean, it sounds like you have used both technology, you've been innovative in how you've used your fellow community members, high school students, or your staff, you've been really innovative in taking that problem and finding creative solutions to make your practice better. Do you have any thoughts or advice for those that are maybe a little slower to adapt? Or, or so I think? think as a physician, um, and you, 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 you mentioned that a little bit, um, you know, we all, all get into the medicine because we love doing what we do. We provide care for the patients. And, um, it's very important to, in this day and age, to have a little multitasking mindset and you should be willing to change. Because if you're somebody who just wants to provide medical care, uh, you have to realize that if you don't stay on top of how you're providing it and how it is flowing through the channels, you will get to a point where you will not be able to provide it. Which means that if you're too focused on just doing uh, uh, volume medicine, yes, by the time you see 40, 50 patients um, in a day, your mind, your mind is so saturated oh that gosh, you can't yes. think straight. I can right. imagine that the last ten patients you see, you probably don't provide good care just yes, because I'm your sure. mindset, your mind is in a different world at that point. Right. And I feel that if we cut back on the number of patients we see, or even continue to see the same uh, same set of patients, but use technology to your advantage, hire people who can help you with this, which could be young people who are great at technology who can probably type up your your templates much faster than you can. Yeah. yeah. Um, seek for help and understand that you're learning new day, new things every day. Every day is a learning curve. It's not like you've learned everything and now I just need to churn things sure. out. Right, right. And you will realize that you go out happy, you become more efficient, and it really doesn't uh, affect the, the uh, bottom line after a little while just because if you're providing good care, the IP has done a great job. Mountain Health Partners a great, great job of getting you higher reimbursements, so you can keep up with the with the amount you were making by either decreasing your volume or making your yeah. volume more efficient, rather than what you're doing at right. this point. Well, greatly appreciate your time. It's a, I think, a good place to, to end, and um, appreciate your curiosity and your quest for always to always learn. Um, hopefully, other folks will hear this and learn from your example. So, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. I really, uh, I've really enjoyed the journey, and I'm happy to help and and share this with anybody who you know, wants to use it. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> thank um, you. If anyone listening has other ideas for a future podcast, please email me at robert.fields at mountsinai.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>